2: morning. Happy Wednesday to you. Hope your day is starting off. Well, I'm sure all of you voters of New Bedford are waking up this morning extra tired, right? Because you you made every effort yesterday to get out to the polls and vote in the preliminary election. Then you stayed up all night waiting for the results, right? No? At least... At least 6% of you did. At least 6% of you made the effort to get out there and vote in the preliminary election. You had 12 people running for the at-large race, which meant you had to knock two of them out of the race. And folks didn't want to go vote for that. You had a wide-open race to be able to challenge Mayor Mitchell. People didn't want to go and vote for that. You had a Ward 5 race, and I I don't have the precinct, uh, the uh, ward-by-ward breakdown. I should reach out to the election commissioner and get that. I'll probably ask for that a little bit later on today or just see if it's posted on Twitter or something. But I'm assuming that Ward 5, which traditionally comes out and votes, even in preliminary elections, had something to say about their ward race, which has now narrowed down to the final two candidates for what will be an open seat. But it just seems like people weren't motivated to vote. And in, in a dismal, disappointing turnout, it was not a bad day. It wasn't raining. It wasn't snowing. It was a nice warm sunny day. No reason to get out there. so it I I know somebody who went and voted at Alma del Mar at 6 pm and texted me and said, I was the 14th ballot for 2b. They have two precincts at Alma del Mar. and this person was the 14th person at 6 pm. The 14th person to cast a ballot. And I said, well, you know, maybe there's a lot of mail-in ballots and absentee ballots and all that. And this person said, "No. I asked about that. Out of those 14, 8 of them were absentee, mail-in, early voting, which means that only 6 people bothered to show up. I might let me check my text cuz I might have might have had that backwards. Give me a second want to make sure I'm accurate with that information. No, no, don't give me one second. One second. It was the other way around. Six of those votes were early voting, absentee voting, mail-in voting, whatever. Only eight people voted in person. By 6 p.m., two hours before the polls closed. Now, Ward 2 did not have a contested ward race. Maria Giesta is running unopposed. So I'm sure that played a part in it. But still, the numbers were low all across the city. If you were paying attention to some of the reports that were coming out all day long, both from the media and from social media and from people who were just posting online about their voting experience, people just didn't come out. Now, Grace Ferguson over at the New Bedford Light was talking about, you know, she was out there going to the different polling locations and she was talking about why, Voters were saying that they weren't taking part in this. I'm assuming they went out and did some, you know, person on the street. Hey, are you a voter? Are you voting today? You know, that kind of stuff. And the consensus seemed to be that people who did care were waiting for the general election in November. So I can kind of understand that. If this was just a formality, if there were only five, people running against the five incumbents for at-large, if there was only one person running against I mean, there'd be no need for a preliminary election. But if, if, if it was, you know, one small thing, even the mayoral race, I don't think anybody looked at the list of names and said that person is a serious competitor, a serious challenger to John Mitchell. If that was the only race to decide, people just didn't seem to care. Hopefully it's not giving us a preview of what will happen on November 7th, but 6.1%. That's less than the last preliminary election, which got just about 11%. So what happened? Well, you heard Ariel give you some of those results and you can read more about it at wbsm.com and on the WBSM app, but I do have the numbers in front of me, Mayor Mitchell, In his quest for a sixth term Came away with 2,544 votes The next closest person Was Richard Tyson Moultrie 357 votes It wasn't Really too close after that When you look at the small number of votes that were there Nathan Almeida 252 Michael Jansen 238 Ryan Duart 156 Xavier Cardona, 126. But you're looking at Mayor Mitchell, 2,544. To the next closest competitor is Tyson Moultrie, 357. Tyson Moultrie, who ran against Mayor Mitchell in 2019 and lost by a three to one margin. Now, I don't know that it's necessarily fair to look at what happened in 2019. And say that we're just going to have a repeat of that. Things have changed. One, I think Tyson Moultrie has learned some lessons from his last campaign. We're going to get into all of that. Um, I think that also his name recognition has increased because of that race. I also think that it, it didn't start Tyson Moultrie out on a good foot in the 2019 election that he wasn't originally really the person that voters had picked in the preliminary to go against mayor Mitchell in 2019. If you recall uh counselor at large, Brian Gomes had put his papers in to run for mayor. He had also put his papers in to run for reelection to the city council in his at large position. And there was some confusion because he had withdrawn himself, but he didn't get it in by the deadline. And so he sh- still was on the preliminary ballot, which is something that we, Might have also had a situation with last night. And if that's the case, if I'm Joyce Rowley, I'm going to be pretty pissed off. But we'll get into all that too. So if Brian Gomes had remained in that race, he would have been the person that went up against John Mitchell in 2019. Because Moultrie finished a distant third in the preliminary. In, in that preliminary, Mayor Mitchell got 57 percent of the vote, Gomes got about 20 percent of the vote, and Moultrie had about 10 percent of the vote. So you had a person that became the challenger to an incumbent who had only gotten 10 percent of the vote in the preliminary election. and now you've got a month give or take to start building up the name recognition to take on at that term a four, at that time a four-term incumbent a person who had served 8 years and was running for the first 4-year term in New Bedford history. So it's it, it there's a lot of factors that came into play just from the you know the pure numbers and politics side of it. You had a political newcomer who only got 10% of the preliminary election thrust into the general and still managed to get 20% in the general thereabouts 26% I believe. So not Not a bad showing for a first time out. However, if you remember everything that went on during that race, Tyson Moultrie didn't really do a lot of things that would make people want to vote for him. I think a lot of those 26% of the votes for him were a vote against John Mitchell. The same way when Charlie Perry ran against John Mitchell in the election before that, two years prior... I think that there was a lot of people who voted for Charlie Perry in a vote against John Mitchell because there's just, just some people that don't like Mayor Mitchell. There are some people that think that he doesn't have the needs and, and uh, the lives of everyday New Bedford citizens in his mind, that he's you know trying to build New Bedford into something that it's not. You know these are the criticism criticisms against him. I personally don't agree with them. I think that when you are the mayor of a city, you're looking to do what is best for your city and not coming at it with a defeatist attitude. And because John Mitchell has never had the approach of, but this is New Bedford. I think some people who still have that mindset can't always see the vision that he has in the things that he is pushing for. But anyway... There was also that bizarre incident where Moultrie showed up at WBSM. And I'm sure Chris and Marcus will talk more about this on South Coast now because they were the ones that he walked in on. Back then it was the Chris McCarthy show, but Marcus Ferro was a regular contributor and was here at the time. And Moultrie just showed up to discuss and debate with the hosts after they were discussing – Comments that Moultrie had made on Barry Richard's show prior to that. Now, and normally you can't just show up and and ask to go on the air. But they worked it out so that he could come on with, with Marcus, with Chris and Marcus. And during that discussion, Moultrie accused Mayor Mitchell of being corrupt but offered no proof. And if you read the story on the preliminary election results at WBSM.com, I linked to that previous story about what he had said. But he said, there are things, this is a quote, quote, there are things that seem a little corrupt, end quote, about Mayor Mitchell's administration. And he said, this is his direct quote, to to Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow during that appearance. Listen, what I can say is what I've been told, and from what I've been told, it seems as though there is corruption. There are things that seem a little corrupt from what I've been told. When asked for specific examples of Mitchell's corruption, Moultrie mentioned, quote, people bringing up receiving money from parallel products, but then he was not definitive about why it shows corruption. Now, in The 2015 and 2017 mayoral races, Parallel Products Vice President Tim Cussin, as an individual citizen, as a person, contributed to Mayor Mitchell's campaign in 2015 and 2017, before the company had ever announced a public plan to build the facility in the New Bedford Business Park. And at the time, Mitchell was vehemently opposed to that plan. He actually at that time requested $250,000 from the city council to hire lawyers to fight parallel products in court. But this was in Tyson Moultrie's mind an example of corruption. And then Tim Cusson gave us a statement following those accusations, saying, I personally contributed to Mayor Mitchell's campaign because I felt he was the right person to lead New Bedford. There were no expectations. And we're talking about 450 bucks. So you're going to say that, that the incumbent mayor of the city sold out his principles for 450 bucks when he has a campaign war chest already that's been built up over the years. He didn't need the 450 bucks in those two elections combined. That he would need to to make promises. Yeah, you give me 450 bucks and I'll let you build the parallel products facility in the business park. You know, this isn't... At least, at least Jaisal Correa, when he shook down people, had the, the decency to shake them down for something of value. Not 450 bucks. So where that was supposed to be corruption, I don't know. And Moultrie did what is the worst thing that you can do when you are going to make an accusation like that. He did the, I don't know, people are saying, people are telling me this is what I heard. Well, if you don't have anything to prove it, don't repeat it. People have told me a lot of things. But that doesn't mean I go to the radio and tell all of you about it. Number one rule in a newsroom, trust but verify. Do the same thing when you're looking for a way to attack your political opponent. So hopefully these lessons were learned by what happened in the last election. As I said, you know, where four years later, Tyson Moultrie is four years more experience in the city. At the time, he'd only lived here, I think, five months when he decided to run for mayor. So now he's been here four years and five months. So he has a little bit more of an idea about the city, how it runs, and I'm sure We'll have him on WBSM and we can ask him, you know, has your perception changed? Or, you know, do you still have the same perception, the same feeling, but have more proof to back that up? He had run for city council, I believe, in 2021. So he has a little bit more experience just in the preliminary. So he has a little bit more experience. Let me just, I'm just looking up to see what happened there. So, but um, it it, it could be a much different race, but I don't think the results will be all that different. If you are Tyson Moultrie, you need to galvanize everybody that is just anti-John Mitchell into voting for you. But to do that, you can't take that pop-up politics model that you tried to use last time of being the disruptor people are going to want a polished candidate to go up against a polished mayor. I think maybe you feel differently. 508-996-0500. Taking a look at the at large race, uh, no surprises that the incumbents will all go through to the general election. However, if I'm waking up this morning as one of those incumbents, again, it's a small sample size. It's 6% of the registered voters. You'd like to think we're going to get at least 15% turnout for the general election, so things could change. But Ian Abreu, top vote getter again, 2,067 votes. Shane Burgo coming in at number two with 1711, and that's a little bit of a surprise. Nothing against Shane, but here we have a, a counselor running for only a second term and who also has created some controversy for himself in recent months with his push for rent control, rent stabilization in New Bedford. And a lot of folks are very against that idea. So it's a little surprising that he comes in second for that reason. Brian Gomes, 1,527. Linda Morad, 1,447. Naomi Carney, 1,434. But not very far behind them. Ward 5 counselor Scott Lima, who is... Not going to run for re-election in Ward 5 because he thinks he can, um, he, he'd can. He rather be in an at-large position so he can focus on more of the city than just Ward 5, including uh, his passion for the waterfront as part of the Ocean Cluster board. He, he's somebody who really wants to do a lot with the waterfront, and that, that's not in Ward 5. So he decided to go for an at-large position and had a very good showing. And Devin Burns... Also, with a good showing, 1170. So we're talking about a difference of a couple of hundred votes between, actually, we're looking at 80 votes between the fifth and sixth place. And then about 300 votes between the fifth and seventh place. So I would say that, you know, if I'm waking up this morning as Naomi Carney, As Linda Morad, as Brian Gomes, I have a choice. I can either say, whew, I got some work to do. There's some people nipping at my heels, or I say, well, it was just a preliminary election with 6% of the voters turning out. Let's see what happens when more voters come out and our name recognition comes into play. Anyway, 508-996-0500. I've got to take a break. We've got a lot more to discuss about this. Coming up later on in the morning, we're going to be joined in the 8 o'clock hour by a special guest who made her national television debut last night as a contestant on The Voice. So we'll talk about that as well a little bit later on. Right now, I'm going to go and take that break very quickly. And we're going to take more of your calls, 508-996-0500. We'll get your reaction to the election. There's some other local stories we'll talk about as well. But right now, it is time to get all of the big stories of the day from Ariel Dorsey in the WBSM Newsroom.
3: An election for the new speaker of the House is set to be held next Wednesday. Members leaving the House GOP conference meeting said a candidate forum for speaker will be held next Tuesday, with the election held the following day. Kevin McCarthy says he will not run again, following the chamber's, chambers decision to remove him in a historic vote forced by Florida Congressman Matt Gates. Former House Speaker Newt Gingrich is calling on House Republicans to expel Congressman Gates. In an op-ed for The Washington Post Tuesday, Gingrich called Gates anti-Republican and claimed he was engaging in childish behavior and has become actively destructive to the conservative movement. North Carolina Congressman Patrick McHenry is now acting Speaker until the new Speaker election is held. Ford, Ford Motor Company and General Motors are laying off an additional 500 employees as the UAW strike continues. Ford is laying off 330 workers in Chicago and Lima, Ohio at their factories. 164 workers are being furloughed at its, at its metal centers in Marion, Indiana and Parma, Ohio. The man accused of murdering rapper Tupac Shakur is expected to be arraigned today in Las Vegas. Authorities say Shakur was involved in a fight with Dwayne Davis outside a Mike Tyson fight in 1996 before Davis allegedly shot and killed Shakur at an intersection. After 27 years, Davis was arrested at his home in in Henderson, Nevada last Friday. AstraZeneca will pay $425 million to settle lawsuits from people who had kidney damage from the company's Nexium and Prilosec heartburn medications. The UK-based drug maker said the settlement resolves cases currently in state and federal courts in New Jersey and Delaware. A case concerning the drugs and kidney damage is scheduled for federal court in Louisiana next April. An entire Air Force squadron is cut off from the bar because of what commanders called a pattern of irresponsible alcohol consumption by members of the unit. A memo sent this week to the 721st Aerial Port Squadron based out of Ramstein, Germany, said alcohol consumption outside of your dorm or residence is prohibited between the hours of midnight and 6 a.m. and also within eight hours of any shift. In sports, the Patriots are still confident in their starting quarterback. On Tuesday, offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien said that he views mac jones's recent performance against the cowboys as an outlier jones was pulled from the game after being strip sacked and intercepted twice in new england's 38-3 loss head coach bill belichick said after the game that jones is still the team's top quarterback entering week five the pats host the new orleans saints on sunday the Bruins have dropped each of their last four straight preseason games after falling 5-4 to to the Washington Capitals in overtime. Boston will close out its exhibition season when it visits the New York Rangers tomorrow night at Madison Square Garden. The Celtics have started training camp. On Tuesday, Boston announced that it signed center Wenyan Gabriel. The Seas preseason opener is Sunday night against the Philadelphia 60- 76ers. Now let's take a look at your local forecast with ABC 6. Everybody on this Wednesday, another cool start
2: to the day with a patchy fog. This will give way to mostly sunny skies and temperature heading into the lower 80s for today. A little bit muggy out there overnight tonight. Another cool night and then for tomorrow, temperatures drop into the mid 70s, but with mostly sunny skies. Be sure to watch ABC6 for my full seven-day forecast. From the ABC6 Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Sese
3: del Carmen on New Bedford's News Talk Station, 1420 WBSM. I'm Ariel Dorsey for WBSM News. Stay up to date with New Bedford's News Talk Station, WBSM, and get breaking news alerts with the WBSM app.
1: Get breaking news alerts, stream audio, send us text messages, and get live traffic and weather updates all on the WBSM app. Download it now from your app store or at WBSM.com.
2: It's uh, that spooky South Coast fan, Greg Kin, the Greg Kin band. No, he's, he's a spooky South Coast listener. But uh, yes, there might be some at-large counselors who feel like they might be in jeopardy after the returns last night and the preliminary election. Again, only 6% of registered voters came out. So you're going to assume more people will come out in the general. But um, we had the five incumbents all go through to the general along with their challengers will be Scott Lima, who is the Ward 5 counselor right now, but he's running for a war, for the uh, at-large seat. Devin Burns, Bruce Duart, Gelmi Santiago. Carmen Amaral made it through, but she said back on September 4th on her Facebook page that she wasn't going to be running anymore, that she was going to withdraw from the race. Call her, hang on, I'll get to you in one moment. That she was going to withdraw from the race, but uh, Manny Brito told... The reporters yesterday, I heard Pete Braley mention this on on New Bedford Cable News yesterday, that she had not officially withdrawn from the race. So we have another situation like we had in 2019 where Tyson Moultrie was third in the preliminary. Brian Gomes was second, but Brian Gomes had withdrawn from that race, but it hadn't been official yet. And if you remember, there was that whole thing about, he didn't get things in time, like a whole confusing thing. But now we've got that happening again here, maybe um, where Carmen Amaral hasn't formally withdrawn yet. And so she was the 10th vote getter. So she moves on on the ballot. Joyce Rowley was the next person. So she gets cut. For somebody who isn't even in the running. Carmen Amaral had 845 votes. Joyce Rowley had 498. Now, all I know about Joyce Rowley is that she's the person who's been writing the editorials about wanting the zoo to have to give up their elephants, Emily and Ruth. I know very little about her other than that. So I don't know, you know, if she's going to just say, okay, I'll come back next time or if she's going to, you know, make a push to try to get that last spot. Uh, And then Ariel Whitner finished with 382, which Ariel put uh, on social media that she is not upset by that at all, that she looks at that as a very strong showing for somebody who is coming out with no name recognition, really, and first time out. So looking at that with a positive spin and saying, I will be back to run again. Um, I had mentioned if you are counselors Gomes, Morad, and Carney, are you looking at those results and how close that the next two vote getters were? and saying, yeah, they're nipping at my heels here. Uh, I did get a response from Councillor Carney who said that uh, her response is that she has work to do. So she's looking at it as, you know, a motivator. And I think that you'll see a lot of that happening with these councillors now to say, okay, maybe, maybe there are some serious challenges here as opposed to looking at it and saying, it's only 6%. 508-996-0500, good morning. You were on WBSM.
4: Good morning, Sam. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Yeah, the the showing was obviously very paltry. Now, it, it, that actually got me thinking. Previous conversation I've had with uh, like Chris McCarthy and, and Marcus the um, last few days in regards to how to get voter participation up. And I think one of the ways that is hurting it is <clears throat> Chris and I were discussing how like politicians used to go out and uh meet all the all the voters at the factories. you know you meet five six hundred people at a time at, at shift change and that actually got you as a voter got you more engaged and got you invested in the candidate yeah. uh you know you you met the guy or you met the woman and you shook your hand you had a conversation and they they said things to you that that really perked your interest and now you start going huh and you started thinking about them more and you started wondering, oh, maybe they can make a difference. And they started to get you know, a little bit more invested, maybe held a sign or maybe, you know, made a couple phone calls for you on your behalf. They got invested. And it all started with the politician uh, going out and making an attempt to reach out to that voter. What we see today is, and, and I don't blame the politician, um, they look at who shows up to vote and they only go to them. They go out to the six percent. They go out to the seven percent that consistently well, vote, and and <clears throat> that's who they that's who they they target. Right. They and, they, they and, come and on WBSM
2: else, when WBSM listeners are the ones who are already showing up at the polls.
4: Right.
3: Well, I'm saying. I mean, not, on not on that we board, don't want them, we want right? them
2: to come on, of course. But you, you just look at look at Ryan Pereira. Okay, here's a guy yeah. who for the, runs for the first time defeats a popular incumbent in Joe Lopes in Ward Six, and. He did it. He he made no secret about what why he was so successful. He says he probably knocked on every door in the South End, every door in Ward 6 in order to get himself out there and meet the people and that translated to a victory. And now correct. to the point where he's popular enough that nobody wanted to challenge him.
4: Correct. Correct. So my 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 whole point is it's kind of like a chicken and the egg thing. You know, the the politician doesn't go out and vote. I mean, the politician doesn't go out and knock on all the doors because they know why am I gonna waste my time on this this neighborhood, this neighborhood, and this neighborhood? None of those people ever, that entire street never votes. So I'm never gonna go and knock on their door when I could be knocking on the other six percent that that do show up and vote for me. Well on the other hand, if you want voter participation up, you actually have to go out and knock on all the doors. Yeah. Uh, and so then so then the voter feels invested. The voter now goes, huh? Well, this guy actually cares about me. You know how many times I've heard on WBSM specifically when you're talking about the, uh, the World 1 race and, and uh, what's going on up there with uh, that trash plant? Mm-hmm. Um, how many times I've heard callers call in and say, this guy's the only one that's ever come out and talked to me. In 30 years, I've never had somebody come out and knock on my door. And now they earn their vote because specifically because that politician went out and knocked on that door. Yeah,
2: it's now, and it's it's a it's a war that people might take it for granted. They say, "Well, people here are invested. They they own their homes. They're going to want to come out and vote." Right. And so they think that they don't need to. I mean, you're right. You can still you start with that six percent, absolutely. But then make sure that you get as many of the other folks you as you to, can.
4: Yeah, you have to grow your base. Now, my other question is: maybe the politicians don't want high voter participation rate because if the voters all voted. That's a lot of work for them. They don't have to just concentrate on the 1,000 people in their ward that, that go out and vote. Now they're going to have to actually pay attention to everybody. And that's a lot of work. That's a lot of, you know, pounding on doors and, and walking around. Their, their uh, percentage of winning goes up when the voting populace goes down. And now that this is. I, I, I don't know.
2: This. I don't know about that because the, the, the last couple of the numbers are close. When there's a low voter turnout. So you need more of a padded cushion. So you need to get out there and get more voters to come out and vote for you.
4: Right. But if you already have, like, what I'm saying is like, say you got 6% that go out and vote and you know, 3% is your base. You literally only have to convince one or two streets go out and vote versus an entire neighborhood or an entire precinct
2: i mean i, I think to, i think if you're naomi carney this morning you're saying i want to go meet every p- potential el- eligible voter in the city because it's right. close between her and the next person based on these numbers
4: oh i, I agree well I, I think and this isn't just me talking this was a like a, a big national activist actually said this once was uh the, the prospect of their uh of their movement winning elections is when the voting populace goes down and he was a a conservative activist back in the eighties. He was like, I don't know, a Christian conservative guy. And he said that at a big rally, he goes, listen, everybody wants to, he called it the goo goo syndrome, which is a good government. And he talked about this specifically where he, he wanted, everybody wants everybody to vote. And he goes, he goes, I don't want everybody to vote because the prospect of them winning is when the voting populace goes down because, when you increase the odds uh, or, or disperse all the votes, the, the concentration of votes in, in your area uh, are, are kind of watered down. Sure. Okay, it, doesn't, it doesn't have enough value. Chris talks about that, that, that the individual vote, uh, that the value of your individual vote goes up when the voting populace goes down. Sure. Just, hey, you know, it's worth more. And yep. I think maybe that's one of the, the, the politicians... Uh, the whole thing is they don't actually want the voting population to go up. They actually just want, you know, 3% to decide the election. And that's great because they don't have to work as hard.
2: All right. I'm going to hold you there just because i got to take a break. But thank you for the call. All right, Tim. Have a good you day. Did. And I just want to point out before I go to the break very quickly, uh, you know, I mentioned Councillor Carney saying, you know, she wants to get she actually you know, sent in a statement saying, you know, I've got work to do, but I know I mentioned her saying like she wanted to go out and meet all everybody in the city because there's a, a tight difference between her and the number six vote getter uh, because the top five become the at-large councillors. But I should also note when I say that, I only said that because she was number five in the voting. Number four in the voting was council president Morad, who only had 13 more votes than councillor Carney. Counselor Gomes had just under 100 more votes than Counselor Carney. So it's it's pretty tight for them, too. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't be taking anything for granted if I was anybody, but I would say that Counselor Abreu probably feels pretty confident. Having 2,067 votes to lead all the vote-getters again, Counselor Burgo... 1711 was number two. But as I discussed, you know, he's somebody who has drawn some controversy with his plan for rent. Well, his desire to form a plan for rent stabilization. So maybe because it's a preliminary election, that large group of landlords that are against this idea didn't come out to vote. But maybe they'll show up in November. Maybe they'll look at this and say, hey, everybody that lives in our buildings, don't forget to vote on November 7th. Obviously, they're not going to tell them who to vote for, at least not formally, at least not in writing so anybody can trace it back, but they they might, you know, organize an effort and get their tenants to stand up for them. So you're looking at the possibility of anyone really of those vote getters, uh, of those uh, candidates, possibly losing to one of those to the sixth or seventh place vote getter. And that's that's not to say that Bruce Duart, somebody who has a lot of name recognition, can't increase his number of votes. Just as an example. So, anyway, I got to take that break. 508 996 0500. We'll be right back. And welcome back in. Say, listen. It's early. You're up early. You wanted to know what happened in the preliminary election. You didn't want to stay up late. Maybe you're hungry. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I want some breakfast. Well, I think today you're not going to be able to get to just another Phoenix. Their they're list is closed today on their Facebook page. They've been doing some maintenance over there, but uh, don't worry. When they do open back up, they're going to have some delicious food for you. They're going to have some amazing fall specials for you. And I was looking at my calendar Don't have anything going on this weekend. So I do need to sleep in a little bit. I got to catch up on some sleep. But I think I'm going to make sure I get myself out to just another Phoenix restaurant. I'm going to ask if they have any more of that bacon, apple, butternut squash hash. That sounds amazing. And to have that with two eggs, any style that you want, I think think for that, I would go mm, scramble with cheese. Although, I don't know, maybe over easy. I'm not a poached guy unless it's Eggs Benedict. I do like over hard sometimes. Over medium, used to always drive me nuts when people would order that because it's like you can never get it exactly the way they wanted, although I could because I was a really good breakfast cook. But anyway, that's that's what I want to try. And maybe I'll have a pumpkin pancake on the side. But Just Another Phoenix, that's the kind of place where they have those different types of flavors. They have those different types of ideas because they think outside the breakfast box. So check them out on Fons Corner Road in North Dartmouth. And uh, make sure you follow them on Facebook because they do post their specials. And they'll have all the information there about uh, reopening after this uh, this maintenance that they're doing. It's a great place to sit and relax, read the paper, have a conversation. If you go in alone, you can make a new friend. But also, it's a place where you can always get their full breakfast menu through the drive through window, so you don't even have to get out of the car. Just another Phoenix, Fonce Corner Road in Dartmouth. And before I take my final break of the hour here, I did not address yet the Ward 5 race. As I mentioned, that seat is going to be open because Scott Lehman decided not to run for re-election in Ward 5, but instead to run for an at-large seat. Which basically means he's saying, one of my colleagues, I can do the job better than them. I mean, I know he hasn't framed it that way. He's framed it as, I still want to be able to give back to the city, but in a larger capacity and be able to focus on the waterfront. So it's more about what he wants to do than what he might think one of his current colleagues are not doing. But it was enough to get him the sixth place and a very close sixth place. He was only out of the top five by 34, 30, uh, 34, 44, 48 votes. I'm not great with math. I'm trying to do it on the fly. So that's pretty close. And also Ward 5 did come out because they had multiple candidates running for the what will be that open seat. So they did come out, but the numbers weren't overwhelming for Ward 5. Looks like they had yeah, roughly 1,200 people come out and vote. The number one vote getter, Joe Lopes, the former Ward 6 counselor, former city council president. And when I tell you the number, you're going to understand why they were hooting and hollering at City Hall when they announced this. 666 votes. Joe Lopes, you are the devil. No, he is not. Great guy. 666 votes. For Joe Lopes, Zach Boyer, number two with 377. So the two of them will face off. If you remember, Zach Boyer ran against Scott Lima. And so this is his second run at it. Now he's going up against somebody who only moved into the ward this year. And Zach can use that to his advantage. Yes, Joe has the experience. Yes, Joe did a lot for Ward 6. Yes, he served as the council president multiple times, elected by his colleagues to that role. But he can also say, I guess to some degree, he can call him a carpetbagger. Now, that's not this case. Obviously, you move, you buy the house that you want to live in, you go to where you go, you go to where you find where you want to live. Uh, and he still wants to serve. He did not want to lose that election to Ryan Pereira two years ago. He wants to continue to serve. So he's going to run against Zach Boyer in the Ward 5 race. All right, I got to take a final break of this hour. When we come back on the other side, uh, we'll have the news. When we come back from the news, we'll take more of your phone calls 508 996 0500. But we'll be back in just a few moments. All right, we're going to be going into the newsroom in just a moment. Game changer in a Kushnet sent an app chat message. I think some people have just lost confidence
0: in the government. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies.